Good morning and welcome to another episode of Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We opened our show today with the opening number for, or from the landmark Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now, you might be wondering, why do we choose that song to, uh, to start off this week? And it's because last week, uh, when we did our Nirvana show, Connor mentioned that, uh, that I should do a Beatles show. And so here we are. Uh, this is going to be two hours of Beatles songs, uh, not just the hits, not the stuff that you are probably used to listening to, but uh, some stuff uh, we have from The Beatles' Love, which is the, the Las Vegas show uh, where, where George Martin himself, not to be confused with George R.R. R. Martin, but uh, the producer George Martin went back uh, to the studio to remix and rework uh, master tapes and and outtakes and all kinds of amazing things. So some kind of deeper cuts uh, this week I'm very excited to share with you. And uh, also, you know, talking a little bit about the Beatles. Um, When Connor was a teenager and was listening to Nirvana, I was kind of into psychedelic 60s. Um, Reason being because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had opened up somewhat uh, somewhat recently. I cannot remember the exact year it opened, but it was kind of during uh, some of my formative years, junior high, high school, somewhere in there. And one of the first exhibits they did was called I Want to Take You Higher, and it was all about the psychedelic 60s. And as part of that, you got to see the Sgt. Pepper uniforms. They were mm. all on display. And it was a great show. Um, my dad took me. Uh, we had a wonderful time looking at all the different exhibits. At one point, I was looking at uh, blotter papers. Uh, I was looking at them. I did not know what they were. And uh, I was like, Dad, what are these stamps? And a man next to me, who was not my dad, <laughs> goes, oh, that, that's you put your acid on that. And my dad had been looking at some other exhibit. I believe he was reading uh, Janis Joplin letters. But he came back over to this man regaling me about like how one utilized psychedelic drugs to enhance the music listening experience. Um, and and my dad, I think he, he was amused, but he was also like, my dude, please don't, don't say this to my young, impressionable <laughs> teenage daughter. Um, anyhow, that's, that's a, kind of a story for another day. But uh, the main gist of it is that I, I saw the, the uniforms from the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And, mm. And I'd always known the Beatles. I don't think you can be a fan of of Western popular music without at least having a passing familiarity with Beatles songs. But I I just remember being really fascinated by those and and talking to my dad and getting really into the Beatles. Um, I also had a relative, um, my uncle, who was very into the Beatles as well. And uh, he and I would often talk about, you know, he'd he'd play the songs when we went down to visit him in Florida. And... uh, we, we spent many an hour discussing the music, discussing the musicians, discussing why they were as good as they were. So I'm, I'm quite excited to, uh, to bring you this show today. And I'm excited to hear um, some music that I, I'm not as familiar with. You know, like a lot of people, I'm very, very familiar with the Beatles, sort of big hits, um, the 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 songs that uh, you could say were the soundtrack to a generation and uh, have had a massive impact on popular music in the years since their um, their creation. But uh, in the same way that you know Katie was not very familiar with Nirvana when we were doing our retrospective and our celebration of In Utero last week. I'm not particularly familiar with the Beatles beyond the sort of 
core story ideas. You know, I, I know like the basic, you know, the the plot beats, so to speak. You know, uh, you know they're they're, you know, these the lads from Liverpool uh, playing in Germany, coming back. You know, getting involved in the in the Mersey. You know. Uh, rock and roll scene and and various covers and then original songs and then you know leading the British invasion and uh, and eventually you know getting into sort of um, Eastern meditation and 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 exploring sort of uh, I guess Indian philosophy and mm-hmm. and and you know eventually no longer touring and just working completely in the studio and you know etc etc played on a roof and <laughs> went their separate ways and you know all produced music in years following to various degrees of quality <laughs> that, that's pretty much it that's a good summation of the of their career i think uh, it's funny that you touch upon the you know getting into indian philosophy mm. because the next three th- three songs we're going to be playing actually i chose them because i wanted to focus for a moment on um george harrison uh, in particular his uh, his studying with ravi shankar mm. um now ravi shankar is known uh if you're a fan of 60s music you kind of know know him as like oh you know groovy sitar player whatever but he had a very long and very very respected career in indian classical music mm. And uh, I believe he was born in like the 1920s, but he he studied sitar um, for, from a very very young age. And this is an instrument that is very hard to master. I cannot recall how many strings are on it, but you have drone strings, you have you know melody strings. It's 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 not a simple instrument by any stretch of the imagination. And I I wish I could recall where Harrison had first heard the instrument, but he kind of became fascinated by it, and. In the the upcoming song, uh, Norwegian Wood, you hear him, you know, playing that, and he's kind of playing it like a guitar, you know, following a simple melody line. Uh, but at a certain point, he decided he that he really wanted to get more in depth, and so he sought out Ravi Shankar. And at the time that he sought out uh, Mr. Shankar, George was was kind of used to living that rock and roll uh, lifestyle, not necessarily like hedonistic, but just you know, nobody telling you that you were late for something. You showed up whenever you wanted to show up, that kind of thing. And so for his very first sitar lesson, he showed up He showed up a bit late and uh, and was kind of taken aback when, when Ravi uh, Shankar took him to task and, uh, and basically explained to him, like, if you want to learn this instrument, you have to come at it from, the, you know, this is, this is not the studio. This is not, you know, you are not in charge here. Uh, and, and Mr. Shankar went on to explain that... Um, in an Indian like musical philosophy, he told uh, Harrison that, uh, that that music is God, mm. in the sense that you you when you perform music, when you perform this particular style of music, you are communing with something higher than yourself. This is not music that's meant to kind of like you know dance to or or you know rock out to or whatever. Uh, Indian classical music is is music that's kind of meant to be fully a fully immersive experience and is meant to be something that helps you commune with with the divine or with higher states of being and uh and he told harrison if you if you were not going to treat this instrument and uh, this particular music with the respect that it deserves like i, I don't have to be here <laughs> and 
and and Harrison really respected that you know that Ravi was going to be that that straight with him. Mm. And Mr. Shankar was going to uh, take him to task. Um, so the next three songs that you're going to hear, uh, we're going to start with Norwegian Wood. After that, you're going to hear Within You, Without You, but it's uh, from the Beatles anthology. So you're actually going to be hearing it without Harrison's vocals, mm. um, because that that song originally does have vocals that, that speak very much to Indian philosophy. It's a beautiful song. Mm. Uh, and then the, the last part of this set, uh, you're actually going to hear Within You, Without You combined with another song and transformed uh, via some studio wizardry from, from George Martin that was created for The Beatles' Love, which is the Cirque du Soleil show that happens in Las Vegas.
every day, BFF.FM strengthens communities across our region by sharing superb music with everyone. Music to connect people with each other and the community they're part of. Carefully curated programs on BFF.FM enrich and engage with music you know and surprise you with music new to your ears. Music on BFF.FM just makes any day better. Your donation to BFF.FM is an investment in the power of music to uplift, to connect all of us together. Please take a moment now to invest in the power of music at BFF.FM. bit of a sitar celebration here on third country radio on bff.fm best frequencies forever we are doing a show about the beatles today 
And that three-song set was all about George Harrison, specifically his work with the sitar. So we started that off with Norwegian Wood from Rubber Soul. After that, you heard Within You, Without You, just the instrumental track there, no lyrics. And that was from uh, Beatles Anthology 2. And we finished off that set with the incredible, there's really no other way to describe it, Mm. incredible mashup of Within You, Without You and Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, That comes from the Beatles' Love. Uh, which was made for the Cirque du Soleil show. And that was put together by uh, their producer, uh, George Martin, and I, either his son or there was, there was somebody else involved, another you know assistant. I think it might have been his son. But just some incredible technical wizardry there, putting together two songs that are, that are quite disparate and making them sound like a unified whole. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful remix and reimagining of both of those songs uh, I, I, I've said it before, I think I said it last week because uh, we played Let Forever Be mm-hmm. not Let Forever Be, we played, we played Tomorrow Never, no- Never Knows last last week um, and because uh, that's you know, if it's not my favourite Beatles song of the ones that I've heard then uh, then it's definitely at the top. I think the reason why why let forever be is is on my mind is that you can you can really like there is a definite influence yes on that chemical brothers track you know from from just just from that one beatles song yes like you can hear it in the drums you can hear it in um in the in the vocal performance i think that was noel gallagher who did the vocal who did the who did the vocals on let forever be i'm gonna check yeah it was noel gallagher um and uh and, and yeah like you can you can definitely see like a, a direct influence absolutely um but yeah and and one thing that i appreciate about that song as well uh, tomorrow never knows is that there there's often this this kind of joke among music fans people were saying like oh ringo wasn't a very good drummer and i would argue that he was actually an excellent drummer mm. uh you, you, in this is not to disparage uh, great drummers like Keith Moon, like John Bonham. Uh, there, you know, there's 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 many great drummers out mm. there. Oh, yeah. The Beatles didn't need a John Bonham; they they needed a Ringo. And the reason I say that is because their songs were not simplistic, but they they did not really necessitate like. A grand, like a Neil Peart style, you know, major big drum solo, you know, stuff like that. They they didn't really need that, and I, I I always kind of get a little bit upset when people write off Ringo as like being you know somebody who only knew how to hit you know on the on the second fourth beat, <laughs> and you and you see that here with Tomorrow Never Knows when you mm. listen to that drum part. Yeah, it's not overly complicated it isn't like you know this this like technically you know this there's no technical wizardry going on again this is not you know somebody with like 25 drums all around it but it doesn't need to be but it's it's exactly that that drum beat is exactly what that song needs to propel it mm. and and that's why i have a lot of respect for for his work at the end of the day if anybody could have been the drummer of the beatles anyone would have been the drummer of the beatles mm-hmm. right but Ringo Starr was the drummer of the Beatles, and he was, you know, I, I know he was not the first drummer, but he was the drummer they had when they when they when they hit big. Yeah. And I don't think that's a coincidence, you know, to for the 
to to equate uh, the the to the to the punk rockers in my heart and and out there in the world, um, in the same way that the Clash Topper Hedden was not the first drummer in the Clash, but Topper was the was the drummer of the Clash when they recorded London Calling, mm-hmm. when they recorded Combat Rock, you know, just in the same way that Ringo Ringo is the drummer on your favorite Beatles record. Yeah, absolutely. What, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, so so there you have it. You know? yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's really nothing else I can, I can R- say to add to that. Ringo Starr, he'll write back to all of his fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll 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 take your your art and he'll put it on his wall. A little Simpsons reference there, uh, but that's another thing too that you have to appreciate is that like they could have he could have said you know I, I don't want to be on your show yeah. like find a sound to like but he was on the show mm. he was on the show Paul McCartney was on the show George Harrison was on the show they were not afraid to to laugh at themselves yeah. which which I greatly appreciate and I think if you know had had John you know sadly obviously not around uh, for the Simpsons but I think he. Would have he would have been on at least once, if not as like a recurring guest star. Yeah. Because yeah. that was like that humor was right up his alley, that kind of like absurdist referential sort of you yeah. know, sort of humor. Uh, but coming up next we have three songs, um, kind of from from three very different uh not really eras, but uh, three kind of very different looks at the Beatles themselves. Mm-hmm. Um and, and the first song that we're going to be playing is the title track from Hard Day's Night, mm. uh, which was also a movie. Mm. I, I own it. I still have yet to watch it. I can't believe I haven't watched it yet. I kind of feel ashamed for saying that. But, but yeah, there were um, there were three movies, mm. actually, that the Beatles were in. There was, there was Hard Day's Night. There was Help. And then many years later, they they gave their blessing for their music to be used in Yellow Submarine. Mm. I do not think they voiced themselves in the cartoon, but they do appear at the very end oh. in, in like a little live action uh, sequence at the end, um, which is just very charming because uh, they actually turned down an appearance on uh, in the Jungle Book. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, if you have seen uh, Walt Disney's Jungle Book, the original, you know, animated version, uh, you'll remember that there are vultures who kind of speak with these Liverpudlian accents. And originally, uh, Walt Disney or the Disney Corporation had approached the four of them. And, you know, there's this plan. It's like, oh, you're going to be in the movie. You're going to do a song for us. You know, you're super popular. Of course you'd want to be in this Disney film. And they turned it down. Um, John saying uh, later, we don't sing for a blank and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> And uh, Walt Disney, for his part, was quite insulted that they mm. would deign to reject him and, and basically said, like, you know what, it, it's, it's fine. Like, they'll be forgotten in, like, a few years anyway. We don't need them. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, they, they did not appear in any Disney movies. Um, they, they, they found some people who kind of approximated mm. uh, the voices, but, but not. You, you can definitely tell it's not them. Um, but, yeah, we're going to start off with A Hard Day's Night and that amazing opening guitar. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night I should be sleeping like a log But when I get home to you I find the things that you do Will make me feel alright You know I work all day To get your money Just to hear you say You're gonna give me 
tell me that you've got everything you want And your bird can sing but you don't get me You don't get me
there's what what can you say about such a beautiful piece of chamber music? You're listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.fm, Best Frequencies Forever. Uh, you just heard a three-song set from the Beatles. That is our show today. Last week was Nirvana. This week, the Beatles. So Connor and I both get to talk about artists that shaped us, that make us really excited, uh, that uh, that we both love dearly. So we started off that set with A Hard Day's Night that came, that is a, the title track from the album of the same name. After that, you heard uh, And Your Bird Can Sing, and that comes again from uh, Beatles Anthology 2. Now, obviously, that was not the uh, the version that made it to the radio, but I wanted to include it because it's one of the reasons that I really, really love uh, the anthology collections, which came out like back in the 90s when, when the Beatles Anthology mm-hmm. uh, came out, that a, a three-part documentary that aired over like three consecutive, or not three consecutive, three consecutive weeks. Yeah. I, was, I almost said three consecutive nights, uh, but three consecutive weeks um, on TV, and it was, it was appointment viewing. Um, but those CDs, I still own the CDs, uh, have a lot of really interesting like archival stuff within them. So you get to hear studio banter. You get to hear alternative takes, some of which we will end up playing on the show. And you also get to hear stuff like this. Uh, I did some, some quick looking, and uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney would have been uh, 26 and 24, respectively, when they were uh, recording that particular song. And the liner notes, nobody knows why they were laughing. Nobody knows what, what gave them that, that case of the giggles. But they were clearly laughing at something, maybe a joke, maybe somebody was pulling faces. But it's, it's really, for me, a delight to hear that. To hear two young people who are, you know, really, like, already in the prime of their career. Mm. And of course, it's tough to say, like, when the prime of the Beatles' career was, because... This was not a band that that had like an you know an upswing and then a, a, a decline. Every single album yeah. is great, so you know you, you. I think it. I think that song there, that uh, that particular you know take. One of the reasons I like it is because it it kind of undercuts the idea that the, you know these these mythic gods who, you know who who made perfect music every time who went to the studio and in one take created you know the the sound of a generation. It's it's really fun to hear them interacting with each other and having fun with each other and laughing together. So just had to put that on there so people could hear it. And then after that, uh, you heard Eleanor Rigby. Th- that was just the strings, though. Uh, a, the string arrangement written by the amazing producer George Martin. And it's it's kind of striking to me. You know, everybody knows Eleanor Rigby, and you you were saying, uh, you know, as we were listening to it, it's like you know a a, a great British tragedy that mm, song yeah. uh, you know the lyrics just these quietly devastating lyrics and the yeah. older you get and like you listen you know when you're listening when you're younger you're like oh that's you know that's weird why don't they have any friends and then like the older you get and just it, it you know yeah. weighs on you it, yeah it, but um, uh, uh, how on what year was Revolver that was let me look real quick for you yeah um, that, because now I, because now I'm curious. Because you know, you were you were mentioning 1966. So, because you were mentioning how how young, relatively speaking, uh, Lennon and McCartney were, you know, when they were doing "And Your Bird Can Sing," and um, it's it's funny you mention how Eleanor Rigby is one of those songs that, as you get older, the tragedy of it becomes heavier and heavier upon you, and yeah. you, you 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 feel it more and more in your heart. It certainly has that impact on me as you know, as I'm as I'm a good, you know, ten, fifteen years 
um, older than the first time I heard it when I was in my sort of mid twenties, uh, listening to Revolver for the first time. Um, it, it it it's it is remarkable to think about how those two young men, like we, you know, I I know some of their story. I know that tragedy did befall. John Lennon certainly, mm-hmm. and, and Paul McCartney. And Paul as well. McCartney. He, you know, neither of them um, were, uh, you know, left unscathed, unfortunately, mm. by their by their childhoods, by their you know by their their teenage years, and it is remarkable to hear that kind of heavy-hearted, like that heaviness in the heart that already can be heard coming out of songs like that. It it just shows the. You know, you don't want to say, just like last week we were talking about, like, you know, you don't you don't want to paint Kurt Cobain as this eternally depressed, like, you know, dark, tragic figure. He could be very, very funny. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a very sensitive soul. He could be very sweet and, and giving. And he could also be uh, a bit of a coward who did not like direct confrontation and... You know, he could be he could be just a, a guy who had suffered a lot of pain growing up, and and you don't want to say you don't want to point to people like Cobain or John Lennon or Paul McCartney and say, oh, it was the pain that made them create yeah. great art, because that's a terrible, terrible thing to tell anybody that you need to be in pain to create great art. But I think that a a great artist is able to take any emotion that they're feeling and and craft it into something that allows a connection with another human being yeah, it's, it's funny because i thought what you were going to say is that like you know with with cobain creating these like because you read the lyrics for a lot of nirvana songs and they are they're quite dark mm. uh you know they're they're not they're, this is not happy good time music for the most part uh, but with the Beatles, it's kind of inverse, where you'll have these very like bouncy, happy songs, and they did quite often write very happy lyrics. But you know, you you look at a song like Eleanor Rigby, and there's other songs, you know, later on, uh, that that are quite you know quite serious. Um, but the the string section, you know, mm. the, and that's one of the few songs where the Beatles do not play. You know, you do not hear them. There's no guitar. There's no there's no bass. There's no drums. It's all that string quartet, and I. I'm going to guess, I do not know for sure, but I'm going to guess that, like, this was a situation where they'd written this great song, but they weren't, you know, how do, how do we, we, you know, this is not pop song material. How do we perform this? Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't really fit a, you know, two guitar, bass, drum format. And uh, in comes George Martin, you know, this amazing producer who, who wrote a string quartet for, you know, a chamber string, you know, piece. Uh, for them to perform over, mm. and uh, and and if you if you watch the Beatles anthology, if you if you have access to it, if you can find it, I highly recommend uh, watching it. Or there's there is a book available. You can get the book. I also own the book. Uh, <laughs> but but so often he would come in with these really innovative and interesting ideas. He was really this like studio wizard, mm. and I did not realize this. I was I was looking up uh, something just very quickly uh, about um, Sir George Martin. And I did not realize that, uh, you know, partially in thanks to his, you know, his producing, his mixing, that uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was the first rock album to win a Grammy Award for Album of the Year. 
And I think that really says something. He's he's often called the fifth Beatle because of all the work that he did with the band, especially after they they finished touring. Mm. Um, you know, when you when you see this this huge jump in. I, I don't want to say quality because it was not a quality issue, but this huge jump in like musical sophistication, experimentation, mm. what they were doing, you know, layering in not just music, but also like you know, dialogue and and ambient sounds and things like that. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because you listen to, to albums like Sgt. Pepper. And then if you if you listen to Sgt. Pepper and then immediately go listen to Dark Side of the Moon, you can tell like that's the kind of seismic shift that happened because of the Beatles and their work in the studio, you had a lot more bands going, well, yeah, like, why don't we have a song called Time? Why don't we go into a clock store and record all of these clocks going off to mark the hour? And it's it's stuff like that that gets me really excited about this yeah. band because if you know what to listen for, if you know what to look for, you can trace back so many different musical trends and sounds and, and styles back to like this one group yeah. of four guys who got together and started playing skiffle in post-World <laughs> War II Liverpool, which is pretty remarkable. It, it's incredible, definitely. I, you know, it, it can, it feels very trendy and very, you know, countercultural or what have you to belittle the Beatles or, you know, say that they weren't so good or that they weren't, you know, that they, you know, they weren't as, as great as people say they are or, or even worse. But I think that you cannot deny the impact they had on popular music, at least, you know, popular Western music. Mm-hmm. Their, their fingers are, are everywhere. With very few exceptions. I, I'm reminded of um, Terry Pratchett's quote about how J.R.R. Tolkien, like his work, The Lord of the Rings, like has just impacted all of fantasy literature. Yeah, the Mount Fuji the Mount of fantasy. The Mount Fuji of fantasy, yeah. Like it, and what is it like? You're either, it's either off in the distance, like you either you can see it off in the distance or you're like right next to it, or if you can't see it at all, it means you're on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the same is true of the Beatles. I think the Beatles are, in terms of at least like like Western music, uh, and you know to a certain degree like you know rock and roll all over the world, because their their touch was their their impact was felt globally. They were a globally famous and popular band. I think it is absolutely fair to say that the Beatles more than any other band any other artist including the the artists who influenced the Beatles like Chuck Berry and Little Richard more than any other artist as important as those artists and musicians and bands were I think like Tolkien taking all of the influence of of European mythology and you know British you know novel writing and his understanding of language etc and creating the lord of the rings and thereby basically being the mount fuji of modern fantasy the beatles in the same way taking the music of, of chuck berry and little richard of of you know of skiffle bands that they played with etc etc you know the the rhythm and blues records that they would have bought you know that would have come in from america making that the the influence then of, of Ravi Shankar and and you know eastern philosophies and 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 you know transcendental meditation and 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 then like contemporary musicians like like Dylan or 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 what have you that they would have met you know yeah. like taking all of that you know 
their desire to one-up the Beach Boys, taking all of that. <laughs> that one of my favorite musical wars. Like, the whole, like Pet Sounds comes out, and they're like, oh, we, 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 we have to do better than this. They're, they're really good over there. <laughs> and doing Sergeant Pepper and in response. Sergeant Pepper in response. Just, you know, uh, like all of that, and, you know, becoming the Mount Fuji. If, you know, you can, you know, you know the Beatles way more than I do, but I feel like, like, we all know the Beatles because no matter what you listen to, it's either it's either an influence by the Beatles or it's a reaction to the Beatles mm-hmm. or it's a sort of reimagining of the Beatles or it's a you know rejection of the Beatles. <laughs> Basically, you you can't you can't escape them. They yeah. are they are Mount Fuji. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, now, the next few songs that we're going to be playing, there's there's going to be a couple that are going to be coming from the Beatles' love. I, I wanted to be sure to include as much music from, from that album as I could because it's really remarkable to see how George Martin, you know, combines all kinds of, you know, like I said, master recordings, stu- you know, album, you know, album takes, uh, outtakes, all kinds of things, and, and combines them and makes something new out of them. And sometimes it's something very simple, like the next time we're going to be hearing which is uh, the title is uh Gernik Nuss, which is sun king backwards and it's really remarkable to hear how this acapella song transforms with just a little bit of studio wizardry
just me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in how
What a fun song, Magical Mystery Tour is. You are listening to Third Country Radio on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. That was Magical Mystery Tour uh, by the Beatles from the album of the same name. Before that, you heard two songs from the Beatles' love. Uh, the first one was Grick Noose, which is Sun King backwards. Sun King, of course, coming originally from Abbey Road. Uh, George Martin having some fun in the studio, taking the vocals from that song, which... I, I said it was uh, acapella. I, I realized after the fact that there is a little bit of like bass accompaniment to that mm. song, and a, a, there's a little bit of like guitar, a little bit of drums, but it's very, very understated. Yeah. It's it's essentially acapella. There's not too much uh, instrumentation going on there, but uh, but yeah, I took those vocals, reversed them, and then blended them in so beautifully with the song something. Uh, which also had a little bit, little elements of the song Blue Jay Way uh, mixed in. Blue Jay Way, of course, coming from Magical Mystery Tour. Um, So Magical Mystery Tour, I I said earlier in the show, I apologize, I said the Beatles were in three movies. Tell a lie, they were actually in four. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour was a 1967 made-for-TV film. By all accounts, it is not great. Uh, but I was reading the I was reading the summary on Wikipedia because yeah. I I remember uh, again watching the Beatles anthology many years ago when it was broadcast on TV, and being fascinated like because they, they showed a few clips here and there uh, of you know of this uh, made for TV film, and I I remember watching it and a few years before. Uh, Comedy Central started showing Monty Python's Flying Circus, and it was on like right after school. So my friend and I would come home and we'd get off the bus and we'd run to the TV because if we were lucky, we'd catch like the last 10, 15 minutes of Monty Python before another show came on. Yeah. And so I remember seeing the clips that they showed of Magical Mystery Tour and and being like, I I kind of need to see this movie because this is like it was it was Python before Python. Like a, you mm. could tell like. There was a lot of absurdist humor going on. Uh, there is one scene um, in which John Lennon plays a waiter, and uh, he he has there's a like I, I'm ninety nine percent sure it's like a wheelbarrow just mounded with spaghetti, and he's taking a pitchfork and shoveling like heaps of spaghetti on the plate of the, of this woman who's sitting at a table, and he has. If he was not a musician, he would have probably done quite well as a comedic actor if he'd chosen that that route. Because I just remember he he had this like somewhat I don't want to say maniacal grin, but he had this like very he could he could pull this this grin that was very like you know weird humor kind of, and he could hold that for a very long time. So as he's playing this waiter, he has this smile on his face the entire time. <laughs> And yeah, uh, it, it should not surprise anybody seeing stuff like that and also seeing them, um, you know, just the, the fab four, you know, kind of uh, playing up for cameras during during news conferences and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. It should not surprise anybody that years later, um, but not long after the Beatles broke up, uh, George Harrison would go on to save a movie mm. actually made by uh, the comedy troupe Monty Python. Um, if you watch The Life of Brian, uh, you will see on there uh, that the production company is called Handmade Films, and that is actually Harrison. Uh, mm. I, I do not know if he did anything else with that particular production company, but um, apparently he was a fan of, of the Pythons mm. and heard that uh, that that uh, Life of Brian, they were in some financial trouble. Uh, they did not have enough money to really, you know, 
complete the film. And so he came in and gave them a a not insubstantial yeah. amount of money. I believe they mentioned um, they did not realize it at the time, but they learned after the film had wrapped and. Fortunately for everyone, it was it was a box office success, uh, despite or maybe because of the controversy surrounding Life of Brian. Yeah, banned in several countries, I believe. Yeah, I think it was banned in Ireland for for, for <laughs> a number of years. But they the the, the Pythons did not realize uh, that Harrison had invested so much of his own money in the production of Life of Brian that if it had if it had not been a financial success. He, he would have essentially been close to bankruptcy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he put a lot of money and it would have it would have been a major financial hit to him if if the movie had not been as successful as it ended up being. I wonder if that's part of why like it not necessarily like, you know, that he put so much money in, but the amount of money that he did give, I, I can't help but wonder if that's why he has a cameo. Uh, there, <laughs> there is a brief scene. Uh, the, the titular Brian um, is being escorted out of his home after he is mistaken for, um, shall we say, uh, a, a man of great import to one of the world's major religions. <laughs> uh, he is being escorted out of his home and uh, at one point, if you look in the bottom right of your screen, you will see uh, one of the peasants who is helping to move Brian along is is a certain is a certain beetle uh, who I remember reading. Uh, actually said that that filming that scene because there's a, a great crowd press you know people are swarming uh, Brian yeah. and you know swarming people around him and, and you know being they're they're in rapture and they're all shouting for him and waving and kind of you know jostling a little bit and uh, Harrison said that that uh, that particular scene was actually kind of hard for him to film because it took him back to the days mm. when he and his friends would have to endure similar things with major crowds like but it's kind of funny because you see. If you watch his face, you kind of see him like put on the 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 beetle like the, the little like you know slight, slight smile of like that you know the look that says yes yes thank you thank you very much yes you know please please I need I need to get to the stage uh, so so it's it's really remarkable to see that and I didn't realize for the longest time uh, it 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 was only like somewhat recently that I happened to look at you know at at that particular part of the because I've seen the movie so many times so mm -hmm. I was kind of looking at the crowd instead of the main actors uh John Cleese and Graham Chapman and I I happened to look I'm like oh my god yeah that's George Harrison oh my god where did, did he get, get that, that brownie, brownie? <laughs> <laughs> yes uh from, from the Simpsons episode of the B Sharps where Harrison uh graces everybody with yeah. his presence and does a fantastic he job he does a fantastic job yeah it's amazing um, so we are we are moving right along here yeah. in our in our little. Yeah, we we are already in the second hour of the show of this uh, celebration and discussion of the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, now the next three tracks that I did want to play, uh, going back once again to uh, to the Beatles' love, um, which I I have quite a fondness for this album, and I'm I'm glad that I gave it a chance because I remember initially when the announcement was made, you know, Cirque du Soleil is going to be doing a Beatles show, and. There's a reputation Cirque du Soleil kind of has, and and again, maybe this is a, maybe may, maybe I personally am not cultured enough, or maybe it's just kind of a Midwestern thing, but there seems to be kind of this uh, this stereotype or this 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 perception, whatever you want to call it, that Cirque du Soleil is very European. 
very bougie. Yeah, very bougie. Like, and and because I had heard music from Cirque du Soleil, like pro, mm. you know, previous performances, yeah. and it's not bad, but it's it's very. If you were if you are a certain age, you remember a CD that came out called Pure Moods, <laughs> and and I and I think uh, the first time I ever heard music from Cirque du Soleil, I'm like, so this is. This is just a pure moods album, right? <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of like, you know, kind of ambient electro, you know, like electronic, you know, music, not not dance music, but you know, like ambient keyboards and lots of, you know, women doing female vocalists kind of singing in, you know, maybe it's maybe it's another language, maybe it's just gibberish, you don't really know, but lots of, you know, don 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 don't don't like stuff like that so uh, when it, it came out that uh that they were going to be doing a Beatles show i was like oh no what are they going to do i was so worried that they were going to try to turn the Beatles into like a again kind of like you know strip out a lot of stuff and try to make it like this really ambient like are they just going to to take snippets of vocals and try to make them into some sort of weird you know musical melange pastiche weird like like your worst nightmares of like european dance remixes of songs from the 60s or like you know austere european um health spa like you know (laughs) so i i felt a bit better uh when it was announced that that george martin was going to be involved and uh, I do believe that the Beatles also gave their blessing uh, once they kind of understood, you know, what, what was going to happen. But I still didn't quite know what to expect until I heard um, the Within You, Without You, Tomorrow Never Knows. Mm. And then I was like, OK, I, I'm a bit more on board with this. So I, I did end up getting the album and was just blown away by the first three tracks on that album, especially because uh, if you're a big fan like me, you can you can figure out all the different sounds that they pulled from all the different albums to put together uh, the the opening for this show. And it's just something that I, I have to share with with you, the listener. So we're going to head, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead, I'm going to stop talking, and we're going to start playing the intro to Love with Because. Love is all 
How can you not love that? You're listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. And you just heard the first three songs from the Beatles' Love. So it started out with Because, that was the Love remix. After that, you heard Get Back, again, Love remix, and that was followed up by Glass Onion. Now, the the bones of the songs are there, but, mm. but obviously there's a ton of songs that they use to kind of mix in after Because. Uh, so you had clips from, um, trying to think here, you had clips from Hello, Hello. Uh, at the end of Because, beginning of Get Back, you mm-hmm. heard the, the string, you know, the, the growing, crescendoing, like, you know, orchestra uh, section from um, the end of Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, Day in the Life. Uh, you, I, I could go through, if I, if I listened to it, like if we could play it back with me talking, I could tell you pretty much every every bit and piece that they used in there uh but i do want to focus just very briefly on because Mm. uh, i I was listening to it and the isolated vocals for that are just absolutely beautiful and as i was listening to it i was trying to determine how they achieved that and i was not sure if that was uh all just lennon overdubs um him singing you know three parts and then, then then compressing it in the studio or if it was uh, Lennon Harrison, because uh, often their, their vocal uh, tones are, are fairly similar. Uh, so sometimes they would, you know, one, one would back up the other if they wanted to kind of go for um, a similar tone in, you know, in, in backing vocals. Uh, but actually, that was a three-part harmony. So you actually had, uh, this is according to Wikipedia, because it was driving me nuts. <laughs> I had to know before we recorded this bit. Um, but yeah, that was a triple-tracked vocal harmony. You had uh, John um, in the middle register. You had Paul in the high register. He does have a little bit of a higher tenor. And then you had uh, George, actually, in the lower register. George also plays the uh, the Moog synthesizer in the oh. uh, Abbey Road version of Because. You did not uh, really hear it there. But, but if you go back and listen to Abbey Road, you will hear a, a Moog synthesizer, and that is, is played by George. That's uh, that's really fun. I I uh, I don't know why I'm surprised that uh, to to learn that the Beatles were uh, playing around with uh, synthesizers. As, as you already mentioned, like you know they were playing with ambient noise and different sounds and incorporating that into their studio albums, especially after they stopped touring and focused you know, focused primarily focused exclusively on on. Uh, Working in the studio, you know, working, um, you know, alongside George Martin to to produce these um, legendary works. Yeah, yeah, and it's really remarkable to hear their their musical growth. Uh, the, part of the reason that they stopped touring is because for them it was becoming quite rote, mm. and it was it was getting to the point really that uh, they. They were getting frustrated by the fact that no, they knew nobody could hear them. Mm. Uh, there's a great book, The Beatles in Cleveland, that talks about uh, when they when they came to Cleveland and played a couple shows. Um, there was one, and then a couple of years later, they they played uh, at the Cleveland Municipal Stadium, which at the time it's like a, a large baseball stadium. I want to say it could hold like eighty thousand people, so like a huge, huge stadium. And uh, the person who wrote the book talked about how this was before you really had like. You know, sound engineers coming in and like, you know, the big stacks of amps and and, all the stuff that we really have now. So you'd be listening to concerts, but it'd be coming through the the stadium PA system. Mm. And so, you know, the the PA system wasn't it wasn't really constructed for for that kind of thing. And it was meant to be loud. But when you have the that number of fans going just absolutely crazy, nobody could really hear them. 
and and over time that kind of wore on them as they realized you know they could get up there like with completely detuned instruments they could you know they did they didn't have to you know sing in tune or in harmony or anything like that because nobody was going to hear them nobody was going to care and there, there was that there was just you know the stress touring is very stressful and you know world tours um even you know even for musicians today who have the benefit of security who have the benefit of you know having people kind of help them move around without thronging crowds um it's it's tough even for them but you know beatlemania is called beatlemania for a reason and it it was really you know understandably quite wearing to to go all over the world and i'm sure it was quite fun at first but to but as time went on to to just be mobbed constantly to have people attempting to break into your hotel room constantly and they they wanted to grow as artists they wanted to do more and it's really remarkable to see what happens uh, there there's a, a definite jump in uh, there's a definite musical evolution from you know the time that they stop uh, touring and start just doing you know stuff in the studio exclusively and i i think that probably is what helps when you when you look at those love remixes because there's so much work put into the later tracks so much to play with maybe yeah and i don't know if maybe that's why those remixes work so well like there were there were there were so many different layers you know so many different individual tracks that you know could be pulled from could be played with could be sampled mm-hmm. and and could be you know, remixed and 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 melded together mashed up basically yeah. you know like we we played that um wonderful combination of uh within you without you and uh tomorrow never knows earlier in the show and i think that what we just heard especially that 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 remix of get back mm-hmm. which incorporates so many different elements around it around the central very familiar song uh you know i think it's it's a it's a it's a great artistic achievement in its own right in that it is unmistakably the beatles mm-hmm. uh, but it is also it's its own thing uh, and yet it it feels very respectful to the work that was put in by the band and by the musicians that worked with them on those records and to uh you know George Martin's original work on on those records you know, yeah. you know like uh, i think it, i i i i am glad to know that he was involved because he was involved in the in the in in the in in the love remix was he or yes yeah, yeah he um I, i'm looking right now and uh and he and uh, his son giles mm. martin uh were both involved um he was actually the musical director they, they were mm. they were there were two musical directors he was uh george and giles mm. um but you also had buy-in i, I i'm kind of surprised that uh, to read that the project um according to again wikipedia that the project arose from discussions in 2000 between george harrison and uh, his friend uh guy uh la uh La, La Bert. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that, and I apologize, but it's one of the Cirque du Soleil's founders. Okay. And then um, says three years of negotiations between surviving members of the Beatles, uh, so Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, the Beatles' widows Olivia Harrison, um, and Yoko Ono, and the Beatles' holding company Apple Core Limited, and the MGM Mirage. Like they, they kind of all brought it together. So, mm. so this was not, you know, it, it's not like a cash grab, and no. this was not something where they're like, okay, we're we're going to, you know, ask Capitol Records to give us access. We're going to have some dude come in and you know play around with it 
uh, if if anybody was going to do this, um, then then George Martin and and Giles, um, they would have been they they were the best choice because you know George was extremely familiar mm. obviously yeah. with uh, with with all of their music, um, and and he would have you know he if anybody he would have he would have been the one to be to um, Excuse me. He would have been the one to really go, you know what? I think this would work well with this. You know, I think we have some archival stuff. Let me look at this. You know what? This outtake would work well with this. And I think what strikes me about that album in particular is that it really truly is a testament to the the legacy of the band and a testament to how much like George Martin really loved their music and mm. loved that group. And, and worked so closely with them to craft really, truly timeless music. Uh, of which we're going to hear a little bit more right now. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to hear um, this this next track coming up. Uh, comes from Sgt. Pepper, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And just a little personal story here. Uh, when I was 16, mm. I received a copy of that CD, and it came from my dad, who told me that when he was 16 years old, he received the album for, you know, for his birthday. Aww. And so, you know, we, we kind of talked about the album. I asked about his favorite tracks, and uh, this one was actually his. <laughs> and what's what's so fun to me about this particular song, is that the title comes from a, a circus advertisement from the 1840s. So. John saw this, I am not sure if he was at a flea market or, or where he was, but he saw this old poster and decided to write a song based on the headline on that poster, which was Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. For the benefit of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampoline. Over men and horses, hoops and garters Lastly through a hogshead of real fire In this way, Mr. K will challenge the world The celebrated Mr. K performs his feet on Saturday at Bishop's Gate Hendersons will dance and sing as Mr. Kite flies through the ring. Don't be late. Let us K and H assure the public their production will be second to none. And of course, Henry the Horse dances the waltz. Tonight, Mr. Kite is topping the bill. 
Hey, what's really going on? This is Boots Riley. You are listening to BFF.FM. And this is just in case you thought you were listening to some other station, but somehow typed in these letters. We want to let you know that you've made a mistake, but probably a good one. All right. So keep it locked right here. You know, you know my name 
Celebrating the Beatles here on Third Country Radio, you're listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. So you just heard a three-song set there. We started that off with Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. That comes from uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. After that, we played the extended version of You Know My Name, Look Up the Number. If you own Beatles Past Ma- Past Masters Volume 1, uh, you will have heard that song but in an abbreviated form. Uh, fortunately, uh, in the Beatles Anthology 2, we get to hear that in its uh, over six-minute glory. And after that, we heard Real Love, again, from Beatles Anthology 2. Uh, that was one of two songs that um, that were originally kind of demos that, mm. uh, that John Lennon did that uh, they were released uh, a few times like on, as bootlegs and you know kind of like special outtakes on on various you know Lennon compilations but uh, for the Beatles anthology uh, the the surviving mem- members of the Beatles actually got together uh, and according to them kind of uh, took the like the like the rough cut like yeah, that demo sorry I was I was looking for you know took the initiative or they oh, okay. they basically looked at the project from the perspective of like let's pretend that, that John has cut these demo tracks and said like, hey, you know, like I've, I, I've finished with this part. I'm I'm going on vacation or I'm, I'm going to go do something else. Can you finish for me? Mm. And and I, you know, I kind of appreciate how they did that. Uh, and they, Free as a Bird uh, was from Anthology 1. And that was a great one. And I mm. remember when that came out to great fanfare, the first new Beatles song in, you know, however many years. Um, but but real love was one I think that kind of captured my heart uh, for, mm. for whatever reason. That's just a, a really really beautiful, you know, song, and they did a great job on it. It's a beautiful song, definitely. And uh, there's something very touching and and kind of heartbreaking about the idea that the the surviving members of the band at that time like went into the studio with this demo, this kind of rough recording, this you know kind of like the bones of this song that John had left and kind of looked at it as, you know, their friend kind of leaving them this this thing to work on, mm-hmm. you know, and almost as if, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah. You know, you guys work on this and, you know, I'll be, I'll be back and I'll, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, there, there's something quite touching about yeah. that, and something that I think about often when I hear that song or you know, "Free as a Bird." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to take a moment to uh, just to say that the song that we played before that, "You Know My Name, Look Up the Number," yeah. uh, I'd mentioned earlier in the show about how uh, the Beatles kind of had this this proto Python esque humor. If you're a fan of Monty Python, you know what I mean there. Um, but uh, you know, s- speaking about uh, about you know tracks that 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 John would kind of, you know, play with, mess around with. Uh, that particular song was one that he, he, he kind of recorded it, I believe, over the period of, uh, a period of time. I don't know if it was several months or if it was like something they kind of messed around with, you know, when he had time in the studio over the years. But, uh, you know, you hear him and, and Paul just kind of, you know, playing around with different musical styles and, and having a very good time. Uh, but you also hear the saxophone there uh, played by Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. And I have no idea, um, like, the the time of day when that track was recorded, when the, the various bits and pieces of that track were put together, but I just always like to imagine that it's late night in the studio, that they've, you know, potentially even, like, broken into Abbey Road, or maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe George, like, left the key under the mat or something, and they just decided to go in and have some fun when nobody was looking, so. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 
Um, so we're moving right along here mm. in uh, in our show, talking all about the Beatles and you know having some fun with trivia, talking about uh, not only the Beatles themselves but also the you know George Martin, their their producer, um, and, and talking about some of their studio wizardry. But uh, there's a few more songs that I, I was hoping to uh, to share with everybody today. So we're going to start with the song Taxman. Uh, now Taxman is. It, you, you might have heard it on the radio here and there. It's I, I believe it was released as a single. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason that I wanted to include it is because this is actually an alternate take. Uh, this is, again, from Beatles Anthology 2. Probably, for me personally, my, my favorite of the three anthology double discs that came out in the mm-hmm. 90s. Um, but what's interesting to me about uh, about this version is that it's it's essentially like done. It's essentially polished. But you hear something quite interesting in the chorus. Uh, in the version that we are all familiar with today, there's these um, references in the chorus to Mr. Wilson and Mr. Heath. I unfortunately do not know who Harrison is referring to there. I don't know if they are, you know, British MPs. I don't know if they are like, you know, mm-hmm. that the, like the you know heads of Department of Taxation or if they're bank executives. I don't know who they are. Uh, but in this particular version, uh, their names are replaced by a. Uh, <laughs> A very speedy little chorus um, that uh, that I think actually I, I prefer this version to the the final version. So I'm not sure why it got switched out, but uh, but I wanted to definitely play it on the air so that everybody else could hear it and you know see which you prefer. It, it's very interesting here. I was just looking it up, and uh, Mr. Wilson was was actually Harold Wilson, uh, the uh, at the time leader of the of the Labour government in, in the United Kingdom. Oh, okay. Who's um, a uh, higher level of progressive tax that he imposed saw the Beatles paying over ninety percent of their earnings to the to the British Treasury. <laughs> okay, so 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 perhaps uh, perhaps a, a reason why George was a little miffed about. Uh, <laughs> of course, there, there more than a few times uh, the the Beatles kind of miffed at uh, at, at the government. Um, there's a really great uh, performance. Uh, you actually hear it on uh, Beatles Anthology One, uh, where they are performing. Um, I cannot remember the name of the of the program, but uh, they're performing for you know a, a, an audience of the British best and brightest, and uh, and John actually says you know the next the next song we're going to need your help. Well, the people in the cheaper seats clap your hands, and the rest of you, if you'll just rattle your jewelry, and and that's funny enough. Yeah. Uh, this kind of like pointed commentary, but uh, it's it's funny enough to hear it. But if you're watching, and again, uh, clips in the Beatles anthology, you actually saw this televised. He says this, and the camera cuts to the Queen, who is resplendent in jewels, <laughs> and you know has has the you know the queenly little like smile, and you know, and does does the wave and everything. But uh, but yeah, the 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 kind of audacity, the cheek. Mm. Um, also, the story of when they uh, they they ended up uh, the Beatles getting OBEs yeah. and uh, at the time that it came um, it was when the Vietnam War was going on and so they get these letters that, are, that say you know they've, they've, they're going to be you know members of the order of the British Empire but they get these letters and they're worried they're going to get drafted so they nearly threw the letters away they nearly burned <laughs> them not knowing what they were and I believe it was George Martin who convinced them it was either George Martin or perhaps I'm not sure if Brian Epstein would have uh, been alive at this time because I know he he passed away fairly early mm. on in their careers. 
but uh, but yeah, somebody cooler heads prevailed, and somebody said you you should probably open that, <laughs> and so they very reluctantly did, and that's how they found out that they were going to be receiving an OBE. One, two, three, four. <laughs> One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Cause I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Should 5% appear too small? Be thankful I don't take it all. The tax man, yeah, I'm the tax man. If you drive a car, car I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll sit. tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. truck, motorcycle, or other vehicle to BFF.FM? Your donation will directly support, mentor, and provide opportunities for our Bay Area radio DJs. Just call 855-500-RIDE to donate that old vehicle. We accept most cars, trucks, trailers, boats, RVs, motorcycles, off-road vehicles, heavy equipment, and other motorized vehicles. As long as they're in one piece, have an engine, or even towable, we'll take it off your hands. It's easy, convenient, and you'll be directly helping the San Francisco Bay Area music community. Just call 855-500-RIDE to donate today. That's 855-500-7433. He'd let us in, knows where we've been In his octopus's garden in the shade 
every one of us has all we need Sky of blue and sea of green In our yellow submarine We all live in a yellow submarine A yellow submarine A yellow submarine can you not love that song? How can you listen to Yellow Submarine and not be happy? You are listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. And you heard Yellow Submarine just now. Before that, we played Octopus's Garden, the origin for that song coming from a trip that Ringo took to Italy and hearing from a fisherman that uh, octopuses like to make little rock gardens outside the, the caves where they live. And he said that that was one of the happiest things he'd ever heard. And Absolutely. so he wanted to, yeah, he wanted to write a song about it. Yeah. Uh, starting off us off on that set was a uh, tax man, the, an alternate take from the Beatles anthology too. Uh, now I was doing some reading and, and George wrote that song uh, because the Beatles had made enough money that they were be ta- being taxed at and a very high rate, but it wasn't just the fact that they were being taxed. Is that uh, Harrison objected to the fact that so much of his money and his his bandmates' money mm. uh, were going, you know, through through taxation, were going to manufacture weapons of war, mm. uh, and that was something that he was uh, very much against. Hence, a, a, a kind of a strident protest song. You don't see a ton of those from the Beatles, but uh, mm. but when they when they want to, they can write some pretty good ones. Uh, Harrison also wrote the song. Uh, Piggies. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, later on in the White Album, which is another kind of, uh, you know, uh, another rant against society there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you don't expect that from... Because, you know, George always seemed like one of the more... Of, of the man of the main songwriters, you know, Lennon and McCartney, they, they were your primary songwriters. But George wrote uh, a, a good number of, of songs yeah. that appeared on Beatles records. And I think George also uh has the distinction of writing uh of releasing the not just the the not just one but the two best-selling post beatles like albums post beatles records of any of the four members yeah absolutely he uh um his uh his album uh, all things must pass a triple album that sold extremely well. Yeah, but you don't you don't expect Paul you don't expect George to be like you know he always felt he always seemed like like the calm sort of laid back one. Yeah, you'd expect Lennon to be the one yeah. who's really you know angry and strident, but uh, they could all have acerbic wits when they wanted to. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, we we are we are coming to the end here. Uh, yeah. Hope you've enjoyed listening to some Beatles songs and hearing some Beatles trivia. Now, this last song that we're going to be playing for you originally uh, was written. For a, a broadcast called Our World, which is the first live global television link, uh, and which is part of why the lyrics are fairly simple, but uh, a classic Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. Uh, we're going to be closing out uh, our show with that. So um, we hope that you have had a wonderful time listening. Uh, take care out there. Mm. Uh, have a wonderful week. Make art. Love life. <laughs>
Nothing you can sing that can't be sung Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game